To download more lectures, learn more about our project, and to help support it, visit www.bayina.com dream. That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H slash dream. You are free to share these recordings with family and friends. Thank you and Jazakumullah Khairan for helping us make our dream a reality. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم عما يتساءلون عن النبأ العظيم الذي هم فيه مختلفون كلا سيعلمون ثم كلا سيعلمون الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه من استنى بسنته إلى يوم الدين اللهم اجعلنا منهم ومن الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصلوا بالحق وتواصلوا بالصبر آمين يا رب العالمين ثم أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته إن شاء الله تعالى the intent of this series of دروس is to cover as much of جزعمه as possible my intention for picking this particular uh, section of the Qur'an is because it's the most commonly memorized and uh, most commonly recited portion of the Qur'an and so it's probably most beneficial and most relevant to the average Muslim inshaAllah ta'ala just a few things in the introduction uh, as to how we're going to be going about this this uh, tafsir um, really what I would recommend for anybody who's listening inshaAllah to the recordings and also you guys that are attending live is that you study a tafsir on your own as a complement to this, at least one tafsir. At the very least, I would recommend going through tafsir ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, at least that much, because that's available in English. As much as you can do of your own in terms of the readings as possible. And then, inshallah ta'ala, what we're going to be sharing here is something a little bit that complements what's already been read and what's already been researched or available to you easily. One of the fundamental purposes of this series is to illustrate how the Qur'an uh, or every surah of the Qur'an is a cohesive argument. How it's, it's unified and its subject matter is presented in a coherent fashion. So inshallah ta'ala, uh, because this is one of the aspects of tafsir that gets overlooked, in that when you are studying the tafsir of one ayah, and every word or every little grammatical nuance, and you go so far in depth into it, which is great, what ends up happening is you lose sight of the bigger picture. How is everything connected? How is this part of one discourse? Because you understand that this was originally recited without any tafsir. This was recited to an audience and there was no explanation. They were just hearing the words one ayah after another and they were processing this stuff. And first and foremost we understand that Meccan Qur'an in particular it was being recited to predominantly a not believing audience. So you know for believers at least afterwards they can stop at every ayah and ask questions from the people of knowledge and learn more and more about the ayat. But first and foremost, Meccan Qur'an, and you know, Juz'amah is a great example of, and a good selection of Meccan Qur'an, um, is a discourse that is almost a message being delivered to non-believers. So it's a clear discourse in and of itself. So we're going to try to explore some of the clarity of thought, and the organization of ideas that are presented in each and every surah. Just a few introductory comments about surah, uh, the surah in Qur'an in general. One of the most common, I think, in, in Wallahu A'lam, in my opinion, the uh, mistranslations of surah is chapter. That a surah is typically called a chapter of the Qur'an. You know, a chapter is basically one fundamental lesson. 
Okay, a chapter is trying to teach you one fundamental lesson, one central idea. A surah, however, can have many, many, many ideas. A surah closer in, in academic terms, the closest thing to a surah you could probably have is a course of study. So every surah is almost you know, an independent study in and of itself, even though each of these studies are connected to other studies in the Qur'an. So for example, Surah Al-Baqarah is connected to Surah Al-Imran and so on and so forth. They are their interrelationships. But a surah in and of itself isn't really a chapter for many reasons. One of which was that it covers more than one topic and it's, it's diverse in its topics. The second reason is that a chapter has a chronological or numerical kind of sequence. So you have chapter 1, then chapter 2, then chapter 3, then chapter 4. And if you learn something in chapter 4, you don't have to repeat it in chapter 5. And if there's a need to re repeat it, the author will say, go refer back to chapter 4. He's not going to write it over again in chapter 5. But in Quran, Allah repeats things a lot. right? It's not like a chapter in a book. It's entirely different. Another reason we call it an independent entity is that in the Quran, for example, in Surah An-Nur, Allah calls the Surah Kitab. He calls a surah a book in and of itself. So he gives it a term that is used for an independent entity also. So for these few reasons, and finally for a linguistic reason, the word surah, uh, literally, it comes from the outer walls of a city. And you know, if you, if you can visualize, in ancient cities, they didn't have borders or signs on the highway that said, welcome to this and this city. Rather, it was these outer walls that you had to go through. This was their security means, right? And inside the city, there's a lot going on. There's... there's, there's uh, you know, commerce taking place, there's residential areas, there's military, there's government, there's all these different things are happening, but somehow they're all connected and make one city. So that's kind of like what a surah is. There's a lot going on inside the surah, but somehow it's all organized and connected and forms a unified whole. So inshallah ta'ala, these are the few things we're going to explore. Two other things that we're going to try to highlight that are not as well documented in English literature at least. One is the relationship of the beginning of a surah with the end of the surah and this is a consistent feature of the Qur'an that every surah somehow what it begins with is somehow connected to what it ends with there's a, big, there's a cohesion between the beginning and the end of the surah so the, the mafatiha surah, the beginning, the openers of the surahs and the khawatim also there is a cohesion between the last thing you will read about in the previous surah and the first thing you will read about in the next surah so there's a link between the conclusion of one surah to the introduction to, from the introduction to the next. And like we said, we're beginning with Juz Amma, inshallah ta'ala. So now with Juz Amma uh, and Surah Naba, Surah Naba being the 78th surah of the Qur'an, the surah before it is Surah Al-Mursalat, surah number 77. And in surah number 77, we found two groups. إِنَّ الْمُتَّقِينَ فِي ظِلَالٍ وَعْيُونَ In ayah number 41, the people of taqwa have been mentioned. And we will find in Juz Amma also towards the conclusion, we'll find the mention of the people of taqwa again. Also in Surah uh, uh, Al-Mursalat, the people that are referred to over and over again, the fundamental theme of Surah Al-Mursalat, the surah before, is وَيْلُوِنْ يَوْمَ إِذِلْ لِلْمُكَذِّبِينَ This is the oft-repeated ayah of Surah Al-Mursalat, in which the Al-Mukaddibin are being highlighted. These are the people who deliberately lie against the truth. They don't just lie, they lie against the people who speak the truth. So they accuse them of wrong. And they try to basically nullify their, or, or invalidate their character and things like this. So they're falsifiers. They're propagators of falsehood. These are the mukaddibin. Now, Surah Naba begins with the phrase, Amma 
It begins with this common phrase that is, is very famous and commonly translated regarding what are they asking one another. It's a common, easy, simple translation of So let's talk a little bit about tasa'ul so we understand the connection between surah number 77, the surah that came before, and its conclusions with what is coming now. Here we have Allah Azza wa speaking about, uh, uh, you know, uh, or Allah commenting on a discussion taking place between disbelievers. There are three opinions about the word, uh, the tafsir of the word yatasa'alun. First of all, its basic meaning, yas'alu ba'duhum ba'da. What that means is, yatasa'alun means they're asking one another. Some of them are asking others. One opinion is, this is a depiction of believers being asked by disbelievers. That's one opinion. Another opinion is, this is a discourse that is taking place between the disbelievers. They're, dis- they're asking among each other. And a third position is that both the believers and the disbelievers are asking the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam The Rajih position, the closest to true position and the, the one that's supported in the text and also with other evidences is the one that this is a discussion taking place of the kuffar among themselves Okay, this is a discussion or they're asking one another, each other, the kuffar among each other But the thing is we have to understand in language when you mutually ask a question to one another, when you're discussing something with one another, it can be done for one of two reasons. It can be done because you're curious. You don't know, and you're asking somebody, and they're asking somebody else, and this is what's happening, right? So it's sort of an inquisitive intent. Another intent for asking one another is actually to undermine or to, to wage sarcasm at someone else. For example, it, just picture this scenario. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, presents these, you know, these phenomenal truths about the afterlife, right? These huge things are going to happen. The oceans are going to boil over, over. The dead are going to come back to life. These huge things he's talking about. And as a means of undermining or making him look like he's insane, they say, you know, do you know what he's talking about? No. Do you know what he's talking about? And they're kind of talking to each other. And this, this is a means of insulting him, right? So the previous surah talked about those who do takdeeb. وَيْلٌ يَوْمَئِذٍ and one of the most effective ways of doing takdeeb is to, to mock or to undermine the statements of the other by means of sarcastic questions among yourselves. So this is what they were doing. They were saying, come on, really? We're going to come back to life? Is that, is that what he's really saying? Or, or he was saying that the, the mountains are going to sail away or they're going to turn into carded wool. Or he's talking about us coming out of our graves like, you know, like, like locusts. What's he talking about? You know, so th- this tone of undermining that we even know in language today, this is the tone that they were using. Now understand and appreciate this. The one responding to this in Surah Naba is Allah. Allah is basically listening to their conversation. So there's a third party here. The, the messenger is obviously a listener, a party to this conversation. The believers who are making da'wah are hearing this sarcastic conversation. But from the very beginning we learn there's a third party that is also listening to this discourse. It is Allah Azza wa And now Allah is re- depicting His reaction to their conversation. So what we learn in the beginning of the surah is Allah has taken offense to their, their sarcasm. Allah has taken offense to the way they speak about the Akhirah. So Allah says, عَمَّ يَتَسَاءَلُونَ Now, the, you know, just to, to, to add some context to what, what kinds of questions they're adding, because they've been asked all over the Qur'an, إِذَا كُنَّا عِظَامًا وَرُفَاتًا إِنَّا لَمَبْعُثُونَ خَلْقًا جَدِيدًا When we have been reduced to bones and decayed dust, 
you know, and when we, we just withered away in our graves, we're going to be raised again, a new creation altogether. These are the kinds of questions they were asking. When Allah Azza wa said, Alayha tis'ata ashar, right, on the hellfire, there are 19 guardians of the angels, 19 have been appointed. One of them got up and said, well, there are just 19, I can take on that many. I can handle that much. It shouldn't be that big of a deal. So these are the kinds of criticisms and questions they were poking at the Messenger with. Which is why I would say, you know, nowadays a lot of times youth, they fall into these, you know, missionary websites or comments under some da'wah lecture by some atheist or by some agnost in YouTube that's writing some really blasphemous stuff. It's nothing new. They were saying this in the face of Rasulullah Anyhow. So Allah responds, And this is a continuation of the question. Are they really asking about An-Naba'ul Azim? An-Naba in Arabic means news, but there's another word in Arabic for news which is khabar. So there are two words now. There's Naba and there's khabar. What's the difference between Naba and khabar? First of all, An-Naba'ul A'zam, meaning Naba is a greater kind of news. It's a more important news. That's one difference between Naba and khabar. So you don't use Naba for anything. Like if you know the store closes at 10 o'clock, that may be khabar. It's not naba. But you know, somebody won the election, or there's a war that started, or something huge happened, that would be considered naba. And that's how it's used in the Qur'an. Khabar, by the way, is used in the Qur'an twice, both times for the same context. When Musa alayhi salam is coming, uh, or is with his family in the desert and it's dark, and he sees a light from a distance, he tells them, maybe I'll get some khabar from there. Okay? bi khabarin. Maybe I'll bring you some kind of news. He doesn't know what the news is going to be. Maybe he'll ha- they'll have some beneficial information. He's not sure, so he uses the word khabar. But when Allah speaks of nations that are destroyed in the past, Allah speaks of kafaru, The news of those who came before, but huge events. So this is the first difference between naba and khabar. The, th- the second thing is, naba necessarily has a benefit. It necessarily it is a news information that has some benefit for the person receiving it. Also, it demands a reaction, it demands an action. It's not just something you could say, oh, that's nice, and you sit there. But Naba is something, when you hear it, it demands that you change something about yourself. Like Naba would be, there's a fire in the building, right? Now, what does it demand from you? I gotta get out of here, or I gotta tell other people there's a fire, right? So this is another difference between Naba and Khabar. And finally, Naba has buhur in it, as the linguists argue. What that means is that it's a manifest event. You know, there, there are kinds of there's abstract, abstract ideas and actual physical material events. Naba is a material event, something physical, something tangible, something you can see and touch. That's what a Naba is. So when Allah speaks of the next life and resurrection as Naba, He's referring to its tangible nature. You know, there are other religions who, who feel that the, the afterlife is some kind of a spiritual, intangible kind of thing. But even by the use of the word Naba, we know it is real, it's physical, and it's not a state of mind, it's actually a state, it's a place. That these, the Jannah and Nar are actual places. They're not just, you know, figments of the imagination or places in our mind. Anyhow, so this is Anin Naba Al Azim. Are they really asking about this enormous? Now, Naba is enormous in and of itself, but Allah adds Azim to it as an adjective, as a sifa to it. So, is it true that they're actually asking one another in this sarcastic tone about that enormous event? about that enormous news that is supposed to bring, lead them to some kind of action, and yet instead of leading, it to, leading them to action, it's leading them to make this kind of ridicule, as far as this news. And then Allah adds another rhetorical question. All of this is rhetorical questions so far. الَّذِي actually is, is called اسم uh, uh, okay, اسم موصول rather. And هُمْ فِيهِ مُخْتَلِفُونَ in grammar is called سِلَةُ الْمَوْصُولِ All of this is an adjective of a naba. 
So the next ayah, ayah number three, is actually the whole ayah is an adjective of the word al-naba. The first adjective is al-azim, and the second adjective is al-ladhi hum fihi mukhtalifun. And a coarse translation is that which they are themselves in disagreement in or with. Okay, they're among themselves; they are in disagreement in a, in regards to this news. But the way the ayah is structured is in the ismiya form, in the nominal form. The benefit this has is, what this tells us is, this is something they're doing all the time. That this disagreement that they have among each other, Allah Azza wa for example, they didn't say, الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِيهِ يَخْتَلِفُونَ He said, الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِيهِ مُخْتَلِفُونَ The ism fa'il is used. And the noun usage indicates something that's going on constantly. Like a noun is permanent and a verb is temporary. Then the word fihi, this prepositional phrase, has been positioned in between Hum and Mukhtalifun, instead of Allah saying Alladina hum Mukhtalifuna fihi, which is norm in Arabic, Allah says Alladina hum fihi Mukhtalifun. And what this produces is a shock. Is it really about that that they are disagreeing among themselves? Now, the word ikhtilaf, a little bit about it, and we move forward, inshaAllah ta'ala. Is it really about this, this uh, tremendous news that they are disagreeing among themselves in? The word ikhtilaf. It indicates two things. It indicates a manifest disagreement, meaning they're actually physically disagreeing among each other. What this tells us is not only were they being sarcastic about Akhirah, they all had their own theories too. Some of them had the idea, okay, we're, nobody, we're not going to come back. Some of them had the idea, we're all going to go to heaven. Some of them had the idea, well, Allah has created so many huge things, the heavens, the earth, so many you know, stars in the heavens, etc., etc., how is he going to be busy with every little thing I did every single day? Who's going to keep track of all that? It's not going to be like that. He's going to let us go. It's going to let, he's going to let things slide. Some of them had the idea, but no, we believe that, you know, ma'ad Allah, that Allah has daughters that are the angels. They're going to take care of us. They'll put in a good word for us. So even though we've messed up, we'll be all right. We're not going to be in this kind of trouble that he's talking about. Yeah, he'll be mad at some people who didn't have the intermediaries, the people to put in a good word for him. You know, this idea even exists today in life. It doesn't stem from just from religion, from life in general. Like, you know, if, you have a, if you're not a good employee, but you're good friends with the manager, then you're hoping that the manager will keep, your, keep you hired, even if the boss is complaining, because you're good with the manager. You don't have to deal with the boss who's going to deal with him. The guy in the middle, right? That's the idea. That's the mentality. I don't have to face the consequences of my actions. Somebody else will deal with it for me because I know somebody, I got connections higher up. That's the idea, right? And that's really the basis of shirk. It's a lack of responsibility. You don't want to be responsible for your own actions. You put an intermediary in between. That's really the, the psychology of shirk. Anyhow, so they have this, these different kinds of opinions about themselves, but ikhtilaf also means to have a discord or friction within one's own self. What this implies is not only did they disagree with each other, but they, within themselves there was uncertainty or disagreement. Sometimes they would think this, sometimes they would think that. They're not so sure. It's not like they're adamant about, no, 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 for sure there's no afterlife. Or for sure we're going to be saved. They're not sure either. They're not sure. So even within themselves there's a disagreement that is taking place. And that's what Allah Azza wa depicts with these words. Then he says, Kalla sayalamun, thumma kalla sayalamun. This has been repeated, and oftentimes it's argued that this repetition takes place only for the purpose of mubalakha, which in English is called hyperbole, to emphasize something. You know, the old English translation of kalla sayalamun thumma kalla sayalamun is, nay, they're going to soon find out. Nay, then again, nay, they will soon find out. This is how it's commonly translated. Let's first explore the word kalla, and then we'll talk about the repetition. Kalla, you know, according to Sibaway and some other uh, grammarians, uh, mostly from Basra, they believe that this has to do with the word rada or stop. 
Meaning, whatever you're talking about, stop. You're going to find out very soon. You put it in that context, right? They're running their mouth, and all of a sudden Allah says, stop. You're going to find out very soon. So that's one opinion of what kalla means. Another opinion, which is stronger actually from the language point of view, is depends on where kalla is used. If you say kalla, and you pause, and then you say say'alamun, it means something. But if you say kalla say'alamun together, then it means something else. Now if you say kalla and you pause, and then you say say'alamun, like these grammarians argue in these ayat, it is ja'iz, it is allowed, that you stop at kalla and then you say say'alamun. To produce that meaning, stop. Stop your nonsense. Stop this ridiculous argument. All of you be quiet. Nonsense. And then you're soon about to find out, say'alamun, or they're about to find out rather. But on the other hand, if you continue and you don't stop, which is what the text of the ayah is, there's no waqf generally on ijma'ah, there's no waqf in the ayah, then the meaning of kalla is associated with haqqan. Truly you're going to find out. Like in English we say, in English usage we say something like, oh no man, I'm going to be in real trouble. You know what does that mean? It doesn't mean oh no man, it means really I'm going to be in trouble. But you're using no in a way to emphasize or to, to, to hyperbolize your statement. Okay? No for real, you know. So you, you use the word no, but you don't really mean no. You mean actually, really, certainly. That's how it's used in classical Arabic also. So here, kalla say'alamun. No, the real, no, no, the reality is, soon they're going to find out. Thumma kalla say'alamun. No, no, again, the reality is very soon they're going to find out. The sa is short for sofa, and it implies that whatever's coming is very close. And Allah makes sure that we understand that it's close by the scene here. And at the end of this surah, inna anzarnakum adaban. Qariba. We're warning you of a punishment that is close. So closeness here with the scene and closeness at the end with the word Qariba itself manifest. Now, so the, let's talk now about the repetition of the word Sayyalamun or the ayat. Kalla Sayyalamun, thumma kalla Sayyalamun. One argument once again is that this is takrar lil mubalagha. This is repetition to hyperbolize, so to illustrate Allah's anger with them that they're going to find out, they're going to find out. Now, this is the way we speak also. I'm going to get you, man. I'm going to get you. <laughs> you, you say it twice when you're really angry, okay? Or if you're really in a, in a tense situation, you don't just say wait. You say wait, wait, right? You say it twice. So the idea in language generally and also in classical Arabic, when you repeat something twice, it illustrates anger or tension or friction or something like that. So that's one opinion. The other opinion, which actually a lot of the Mufassirun have taken and seems more appropriate here, is consistent with the arguments in the rest of Quran. As far as the Quran is, Quran's warnings are concerned, they're basically, the warnings are of two events. Two things. One is resurrection, the day of judgment, all the events surrounding resurrection. And the second is the hellfire, one leading to the other. But the two predominant warnings are resurrection and qiyamah, and then annab. So there's a lot of description in the Quran of resurrection day, and there's a lot of description for hellfire. So it is believed that the first one, you're really going to find out that first one is referring to Qiyamah. And the second one is referring to Hellfire. So first you're going to realize how wrong you were and how obnoxious you were in the way you were talking about the Akhirah. The first time you will realize this, truly realize this when you face Qiyamah. And the second time when you face the Hellfire. These are the two places where you really get to know. Right? So now, so, uh, this is again the tafsir of why there is repetition between these two things. The final comment on this kalla say'alamun and thumma kalla say'alamun also. There's an axiom, man mata faqad qamat qiyamatuhu. Whoever dies, well his qiyamah has already started. 
whoever dies, his qiyamah has already begun. For him, he doesn't have to wait until all the signs of the hour are done and the generations have passed and the sun rises from the, from the west, etc., etc. He doesn't have to wait for all that. His, his case is done. He's already seen what's coming. Like, for example, Ali radiallahu anhu used to say, nasu niyam, you know, the people are sleeping. The people are sleeping. And when they die, it's when they wake up. Right? So, this, for, in that sense, yes, immediately when a person dies, they'll really find out the consequences of the words they were uttering. Now, this, by the way, was the first passage of this surah. عَمَّا يَتَسَأَلُونَ عَنِ النَّبَئِ الْعَظِيمِ الَّذِي هُمْ فِيهِ مُخْتَلِفُونَ كَلَّا سَيَعْلَمُونَ ثُمَّ كَلَّا سَيَعْلَمُونَ Before we go on to understand one thing about the style of the Qur'an, one of the elements of Qur'anic studies is السَّجَعَ الْقُرْآنِ which is Qur'anic rhyme scheme. Right? You have عَمَّا يَتَسَأَلُونَ عَنِ النَّبَئِ الْعَظِيمِ This kind of breaks the rhyme scheme a little bit. الَّذِي هُمْ فِيهِ مختلفون كَلَّا سَيَعْلَمُونَ ثُمَّ كَلَّا سَيَعْلَمُونَ Everything seemed to rhyme except one ayah which was عَنِ النَّبَئِ الْعَظِيمِ And if you study the grammar of the ayah, you'll find that that ayah connected to the next ayah is actually one sentence. عَنِ النَّبَئِ الْعَظِيمِ الَّذِي هُمْ فِيهِ مُخْتَلِفُونَ is one text. And to illustrate that that text isn't complete in and of itself, even phonetically it breaks. It breaks al-azim is a break. From, it's a departure from the the rest of the continuation of the text. So now you know one of the remarkable features of the Quran in many 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 cases is that the rhyme scheme actually tells you where a paragraph ends or begins. Now notice, عَمَّا يَتَسَأَلُونَ عَنِ النَّبَأِ الْعَظِيمِ الَّذِي هُمْ فِيهِ مُخْتَلِفُونَ كَلَّا سَيَعْلَمُونَ ثُمَّ كَلَّا سَيَعْلَمُونَ Now look at the next few ayat. Just listen to them. أَلَمْ نَجْعَلِ الْأَرْضَ مِهَادًا وَالْجِبَالَ أَوْتَادًا وَخَلَقْنَاكُمْ أَزْوَاجًا وَجَعَلْنَا نَوْمَكُمْ سُبَاتًا You notice a new rhyme scheme? Right? And you will notice as we study the subject matter, it is a different subject altogether. It is connected to this, but it's a different matter and it will be tied back together again. Now, again, because we're trying to study and appreciate the surah and how it's a cohesive whole and a cohesive argument, you need to understand this iltifat, this transition to another subject, which seems almost unrelated. For example, alam naj'alil arda mihada, easy translation, did we not turn the, ed, the, the earth, did we not make the earth into a plane, a smooth plane for you? Mihad actually comes, another word related with mihad is al-mahd. Al-mahd is the cradle, or even the womb of the mother. Okay? Or the cradle in which the, the child is comfortable. Allah says, didn't we make the earth a place where you may be comfortable? Also, mihad is used in classical Arabic for a bed. So it's a place where you rest. This is the place where you, where you, where you find peace, where you find tranquility. Right? Allah, so Allah talks about His favors now. And as you will continue, we'll see Allah's favors and His creations being talked about. But what does that have to do with resurrection? What does that have to do with their criticism? You see, their, by and large, their criticism was the things you're talking about, this life after death, this sun and moon colliding together, the earth cracking open, and the earth spilling out whatever, the, all these big things you're talking about, they sound too monumental. Nobody's ever seen anything like that happening. And what kind of God is capable of all of these things? Now, human beings are very aware of what things they, are, they themselves are capable of. Right? We're capable of making a bed for ourselves. We're capable of maybe building a house for ourselves, etc., etc. Now you will find a discussion of how Allah's capability in your own visual experience, how it surpasses your own. So this is actually a comparison of one's own works, one's manufactured works, in comparison to some of the creations of Allah. Look at what you're able to make for yourself and compare that to the entire creation of the earth. 
then we're able to construct monuments and structures and things like this, or we're able to pitch tents. Literally, we pitch tents. In the old times, you pitch tents. Allah says, well, jibala awtada. And you know, there's a lot of scientific discussion about well, jibala awtada. I'm not going to go into scientific route. I'm going to just illustrate to you the language point of view. Allah says, didn't we make the mountains or install the mountains as pegs? And awtad was used, for example, wa fir'awna dil awtad. Also, we find in the Quran. We're going to see this in a, in a surah later on. And Fir'aun, who is known by his awtad, his pegs, because his thousands and thousands and thousands of soldiers would march, and they would camp out, and when the soldiers camp out somewhere, what do they do? They set up these pegs and these tents. So a tent is known by the most important element of the tent, which is what? The peg. And this is a feature of Arabic. You call something by its most essential component, right? So you can actually call a warrior a sword, because that's his most essential thing, right? So the, the, a tent is called also a peg in classical Arabic only because that is the most important if you don't have the peg the tent is gone Allah says you're able to pitch these tents let me show you the kinds of tents I pitch what, and what are the kinds of tents? what comparison do you have in your your imagination to what Allah is capable of then he speaks now these are big things but now let's look within, within the human being's own creation and we created you, all of you, this maf'ul bihikum, all of you, azwajin, this is had, in the state of pairs. You didn't pair yourselves. You didn't create a pair. You didn't create woman. Man didn't create woman. Woman didn't create man. We created you like this. This is not your own manufacturing. This is being given to you. You're not even capable over your own creation. Your own gender you're not capable over. Your own spouse you're not capable of, the spouses that you've been created in. So you've been created in two different genders. And this is again, the creative power of Allah, as manifest even on the rebel himself, the kafir himself who's listening to this. He knows even that I've been created in pairs and I'm not the one who was in charge of this. I didn't design this myself. Then Allah Azza goes forward and goes eat to the person himself. He says, وَجَعَلْنَا نَوْمَكُمْ subata," And we made your, your sleep. Nawm is sleep, deep sleep. You know how Allah says in Ayatul Kursi, لا تأخذوه سِنَةٌ ولا نوم. Sina is slumber, like sleepiness, drowsiness, and Nawm is deep sleep. Right? So Allah says, He made your deep sleep subata. Now, sabata sha'rahu, for example, a phrase in Arabic means the person cut off his, a lock of his hair. Okay? Or if you say sabata sayra, when you cut the string. Literally, this subat means that which is, that cuts off. It cuts off. So Allah speaks of night as something that cuts you off. What does it cut you off from? First of all, it cuts your body off from what? Your soul. Your soul departs from your body. Right? You're not in charge of this. It's, it leaves you and you're not in charge of it. Then it cuts you off from your daily affairs, your work, your business, your, your, your concerns, your tasks. Everything is cut off. You're cut off from your family. You're cut off from your affairs. You're cut off from everything in life as soon as you hit deep sleep. It's like you're dead to the world. You don't exist for those few hours. Nothing you do matters at that point. Because you're not relevant to the world when you are asleep. You're cut off. You're cut off. And this is actually very important because it's a foreshadowing of what Allah will talk about in a little bit as coming in the surah, which is Resurrection Day. And because on Resurrection Day, one of the most essential features of Resurrection Day is all human beings will be cut off. They will be cut off from one another. The way that is depicted in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah says, وَتَقَطَّعَتْ بِهِمُ الْأَسْبَابِ All of their relationships will be chopped off. And in the surahs that are coming, we will read, يَوْمَ يَفِرُّ الْمَرْءُ مِنْ أَخِيهِ وَأُمِّهِ وَأَبِيهِ The man will learn, run away from his brother, from his mother, from his father, right? وَصَاحِبَتِهِ وَبَنِيهِ Similarly, we found in Surah Al-Ma'arij before, a similar passage. So, 
this is the kind of cutting off that will be permanent. That is going to be mentioned a little bit later on. But you experience something from that being cut off every single day. You can't even help your sleep. You can't go, no matter how long you try to avoid your sleep, in the end you will be overpowered by it. And this is the power Allah has on even the one who disbelieves. Even the one who denies Allah. Even the one who doesn't believe in the hereafter. So this is actually the argumentation, the flow of argument, the logic here is, you are so adamant in disbelieving in the hereafter because you think it's so impossible. Here are the powers Allah has on you. Here are the powers that you see manifested in Allah in, your, in the creation around you. Are you in denial of those powers? And you think the one who created all of these things and is so much control even on your own self, your own body, that you have to go to sleep every night or every few hours, that that one doesn't have the power to create life again? Anyhow, so let's go further, inshallah ta'ala, because we're running out of time. Uh, and, we, and we made the night a means of garment. We made the night a garment. Now, why, why, does the night, why is the night called a garment? Because it, the idea is it covers you up. It takes over you like a blanket. And the garment is something you hide underneath. And you know people hide in the night. Crimes take place in the night. Secrets are associated with the night. Ambush is associated with the night. Robbery is associated with the night. Right? These are the things that are associated with night because it's secrecy. But the other thing here that's, that's illustrated is this is a libas, this is a cloth that is put on you that you don't have the power to take off. You're not, you're not capable of getting rid of the night. You can turn the light off in this room, but that doesn't get rid of the night. The night has overcome everyone, like the day overcomes everyone. So Allah Azza wa made the night manifest over you. Another means by which a creation of Allah overpowers all of the creations on the earth, the night. وَجَعَلْنَا اللَّيْلَ libasa. وَجَعَلْنَا النَّهَارَ مَعَاشًا and we made the, the daytime, this word ma'ash, it could be dhaf zaman, it could be an adverbial you know, uh, phrase or, or, or a, a noun depicting time or space, literally here time, and it could be uh, an infinitive, what's called a masdar. And we'll talk about what that means in the ayah. And we made the bright day, the morning time, or the daytime, a means of livelihood and a time of livelihood. These are the two implications of ma'ash. That the, the, the daytime is a means by which people uh, earn their, their income and this is particularly true in the desert because in the, there are very few patches of desert where there's actually farmland and those are the critical aspects of desert life because that's where the you know, food from, for the entire region is coming and that food will not grow until it gets what? sunlight so the daytime is a means by which life is delivered and then also this is the time in which business takes place and most work takes place. It's in the daytime. Even today in the most modern of times, the stock market opens up in the morning and closes at night. It's, it's the, you know, when you get a job, it's, you know, the, the normal average job for people isn't the night shift, it's the day shift. Most people work in the day. So this is the time for which it, uh, that is stalled for earning one's income and getting ma'ash, a means of livelihood. Then Allah speaks finally, And we, we constructed, built above you, here. You know, if you look at the other ayat that just came, in all of them there was some uh, implication, if not direct, indirect of the human being. We made the, the, the night as a means of garment. Garment for who? For us. A means of earning the day, a means of earning wealth or earning livelihood for who? For ourselves. So this all, it always comes back to us and our powerlessness over even the creations of Allah and how dependent we are over other things that Allah has created for us. So now again, here, Allah didn't just say, We constructed seven intents 
skies, or seven intense, powerful, flawless heavens. Rather, he added, فَوْقَكُمْ we constructed above you. We constructed above you these seven heavens. And this this bina, this construction, the idea of construction, again a comparison to human ability. Human beings construct things too. Now compare whatever you've been able to construct as human beings to what Allah has constructed. Sab'an shidada, subhanAllah. See, this constantly we're being put in our place. The idea of the whole these arguments is the human beings being put in their place. You don't you don't deserve to be talking like this about the hereafter. You need to know your role. You need to know how meek, how powerless you really are. So wabanayna fawkakum sab'an shidada. And then on top of this, wajaalna siraj and wahaja. And then we installed siraj. Siraj in Arabic majazan in allegory or implied, it refers to anything that emits light or anything that is lit. But in the Qur'an, consistently it is used to refer to the sun. Then we add, to, add this to the word ism mubalagha, it's called wahaja. Wahaj is actually from wahaja yahaju wahjun, this is the, the, the base meaning. Something that is brilliant and blazing. And then add to it wahaj, the, the form that's used in Arabic is that which hyperbolizes. So an incredibly brilliant blazing lamp we installed for you. So of all the things, all the fires you're going to be able to kindle on the earth, all the chandeliers you'll be able to create, what is going to compare? What is going to compare to this creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Again, an illustration of the powerlessness of the human being. At the same time, an illustration of the creative power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَأَنزَلْنَا مِنَ الْمُعْصِرَاتِ مَا أَنْفَجَّجَ This is a very beautiful ayah of the creative power of Allah. He says, and we sent down مِنَ الْمُعْصِرَاتِ you know, a'sara in Arabic, or i'sar, the masdaf, is it means to squeeze, to squeeze. And this is referring, one opinion is, this is referring to the winds. The winds come, and they literally squeeze the clouds, and then the clouds get, drip what? Rain. So that's one image that's being presented, that the winds, they end up squeezing the clouds. Like, an i'sar is used in classical Arabic for a cloth that is drenched, and you know, you twist it, and you squeeze it, and water comes out. Also, i'sar is used for the clouds that are full of water that can't hold anymore and end up dripping. So these are the two implications that we sent by means of the mu'sirat, by means of these squeezed, or the clouds that get squeezed by winds, or the clouds that are drenched in, in water. Ma and thajjaja, water that is thajjaj. Thaj, literally, it means overflowed or heavy, profuse kind of rain or flooding. So we sent this intense kind of water supply that again, human beings can't compare to. Rather, we know that water is a means by which human beings are either overpowered, either by the overflow of it, or by the lack of it. When Allah doesn't send it, it can create death and famine, and when Allah sends too much of it, it can create death and famine, or death and destruction, right? Flooding. So Allah Azza wa again illustrating His power over the human being. And now, you will find a, t a, a change in tone of mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how, how many favors He has given to you. So we may derive or ex you know, extract by means of it, the he here, the lamir referring to ma, to water, so by, by means of the water so that we may um, extract. Habban is used for all kinds of grain, all kinds of wheat, all kinds of crop, and nabat is used for all kinds of grass or vegetation. So all kinds of, basically the sustenance of this earth. The earth, if, if not for vegetation, if not for, for plant life, then there is no earth, life on this earth. Because whatever we consume in the end, consumes plant life. Right? So anyway, لِيُخْرِجَ بِهِ حَبًّا وَنَبَاتًا وَجَنَّاتٍ أَلْفَافًا And above and beyond that, jannat specifically, 
lush gardens. Al-Faf is the plural, it could be argued of Lafif, though there are other opinions also. Lafif means that which is wrapped around. So the idea is gardens in which the trees and the branches and, the, and you know, these, these plants, they are intertwined among each other. They're so intricately connected to each other. It seems like they're tangled among each other. This is Wajannatin al-Fafa. Plants so close together and so lush that you can't tell where one ends and the other begins. Right? That's Jannatin al-Fafa. That's the imagery that's been presented. Now, after all of this explanation of creative power, this was the second paragraph, by the way, the second lesson of the surah, to compare human ability or human inability to the creative power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Go back to the first paragraph, what was the whole problem? The whole problem was a denial of the hereafter. So now it's coming back to that problem. Now that you've been put in your place, now we can talk about that which you were asking about or being sarcastic about. Allah Azza wa says, Inna yawm al-fasli kana miqata. No doubt. The day of al-fasl. Al-fasl in Arabic is to take, literally means to take two things that are together and to separate them so much that they're clearly apart from one another. And this is one of the descriptions of the Day of Judgment. The ulama comment that it's called Yawm al-Fasl, the Day of Separation, or the Day of Clear Distinction, because for one, on that day, truth will be separated from falsehood. And in this dunya, people say some truth and mix it with some falsehood. This is what the mushrik did. He, it's, like, it's not like he said, I'm not going to believe in Allah. He believed in Allah and other things with Allah. Right? So and the people even who do bad, they say at least we're doing some other good. They mix good with evil. They mix truth with falsehood. This is a day when all of this will be separated. A person will be separated from his false hope. A worshipper will be separated from his false gods and the hopes that he placed in them. A tyrant will be separated from his power. Right? All of these things that, we, that are together now will be separated. Allah Azza speaks in Baqarah about followers being separated from their leaders. Right? The people, if the barra tabaru, the people who used to be followed will disassociate themselves with the people who used to follow them. Right? So anybody who used to follow trends of, you know, nowadays are kids or whoever they're following the trends of their friends in school or celebrities on TV and things like that. On that day, they will want nothing to do with their fan base. They'll walk away from them. I want nothing to do with them. That's their own doing. I have nothing to do with them. So, and, and similarly, the elders, we follow sometimes our family traditions. We'll go into haram to keep up with family tradition. Because our, you know, our family does things this way. That's why we have to do it this way. On that day, none of this will matter. Your uncle or your grandfather or your cousin for whom you wanted to show your face and, and engage in riba or do this haram business or have that inappropriate gathering, they won't care for you on that day. They'll walk away. They'll walk right off. So anyway, in the al fasli kana miqatan, probably perhaps the most graphic depiction of that fasl that Allah Azza wa describes is that on that day the mother will be separated from uh, her child. Right? That's the probably the most graphic description of al fasl on that day. May Allah save us on that day. Inshallah ta'ala, we'll, we'll try and close with this ayah because it's almost time for salah, right? So I'm going to wrap some, uh, some things up about this ayah and we'll conclude. Bi'ibnillah. Allah says, inna yawm al-fasli kana miqata. The day, this day of separation, this day of parting, this day of clear distinction between two things had already been appointed. Miqat is what's called Dharf Zaman. This time had, was bound to come. It was a fixed time. It was like clockwork. It had to happen. Right? Like the, the hour has to strike. You know, if you notice all the things, or many of the things that Allah spoke about, the, the creation of pears, the growing of plants, the sun, right, the night and the day, things that have a fixed time. Things that have an appropriate time for them. Just like that, this life also has a zawj. It's paired with something. What is it paired with? It's paired with the next life. It's got a time too. 
It's just, you know, just like regularly you expect the season to change, or you expect the afternoon to change into the evening, the evening to the night, the night to the morning, just like that expect. It is appointed, it is fixed, that this time has to come. It is just, we're headed towards that direction, whether you like it or not, and this is depicted in another place that we're going to see soon, inshallah ta'ala. Ya ayyuhal insan, innaka kadihun ila rabbika kadhan Human being, you better realize you are marching forward towards your Lord minute by minute, second by second, without your, your, your knowledge even, and you're going to get to meet Him. It's like no matter what you do, you know, we're all on this, you know, those conveyor belts in the airports that walk you quickly. We're standing on it, whether we realize it or not, we're moving in that direction. We're headed towards our Lord. May Allah Azza wa Jalla save us from humiliation on that day. Bismillah ta'ala, uh, after the uh, short prayer, we'll try and conclude the dars on Surah An-Naba. To download more lectures, learn more about our project, and to help support it, visit www.bayyina.com slash dream. That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H slash dream. You are free to share these recordings with family and friends. Thank you and Jazakumullah Khairan for helping us make our dream a reality. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إن يوم الفصل كان ميقاتا يوم ينفخ في الصور فتأتون أفواجا وفتحت السماء فكانت أبوابا وسيرت الجبال فكانت سرابا we're going to uh, pick up from where we left off. This is ayah number 17 of Surah al We said, no doubt, the day of separation. It has already been appointed and it had been a day with, with a fixed time. Miqat uh, in Arabic is a dharf zaman, which means an appropriated or a fixed time for something that can't be moved. Allah says, يَوْمَ يُنْفَخُ فِي الصُّورِ فَتَأْتُونَ أَفْوَاجًا Now that uh, the introduction has been made to that day, now the rest of the ayat, much of them will be depicting the events of that day. Allah Azza wa Jal begins by saying, يَوْمَ يُنْفَخُ فِي الصُّورِ The day on which it will be blown, meaning نَفْخٌ يُنْفَخُ نَفْخٌ فِي الصُّورِ That the, uh, the, the breath will be blown into the sur, the trumpet, what is commonly called, but literally a sur in Arabic means the horn, literally the, either the horn of an animal or the horn that is blown into. فَتَأْتُونَ afwaja. Ta'tun is uh, in seal al-hadir, which is the second person, all of you will come forward as a result in multitudes, in armies. And so we find Allah turning towards the kuffar and talking to them, not about them. The surah began, Amma يَتَسَأَلُونَ Not تَتَسَأَلُونَ But يَتَسَأَلُونَ They are asking one another. It was third person. But now Allah is talking to them. In other words, in the beginning Allah was expressing His disgust with them by not even addressing them directly. He was talking about them. This is called tab'id in Arabic. To distance oneself from the one you are not happy with. But then there's a, there's a tool in Arabic to illustrate your anger at the one by first not talking to them directly and then eventually turning to them and hitting them by surprise. This is what we do in the classroom. Like for example, the teacher is teaching the class and you know, one of the children, they fail the test. Right? So the teacher walks in and says, some people didn't do very good on their exam. 
And now everybody's kind of nervous, but they're not sure if it's them. And in the middle of his yelling at the students, all of a sudden he points at Abdullah and says, You, by the way, you know what happens to Abdullah? He's caught off guard all of a sudden. Right? This is, this is a consistent tool in the Qur'an in the way Allah executes a threat. For example, Allah Azza wa Jalla says, وَقَالُوا وَقَالُوا اتَّخَذَ اللَّهُ وَلَدًا They said Allah has taken a son. Right? Now, then immediately, لَقَدْ جِئْتُمْ شَيْئًا إِدَّا You have come forward with a monstrous, monstrous statement. A monstrosity you put forward. All of a sudden, you, from they to you. They said, but you've done this, right? So there's this transition from, from ghaib, from third person, to hadir, the second person. This is the same thing that happens in this surah. فَتَأْتُونَ أَفْوَاجِ One of the benefits of the word أَتَى يَأْتِي in Arabic is that it doesn't just mean to come. Like جَاءَ يَجِئُ It means to come. But أَتَى means to come also means to submit. أَتَيْنَا طَائِعِينَ The heavens and the earth, they turned to Allah, they said, we come in submission, meaning we submit ourselves completely. Right? So فَتَأْتُونَ أَفْوَاجَ You will submit yourselves in multitudes also. Not only will you come forward in multitudes, you'll give yourselves up in multitudes. This is in a, uh, as, uh, as uh, you know, to, to show the contrast between how you are now, you are in rebellion, and how you will be then, you will be in multitudes altogether in submission to Allah. Now you notice Allah Azza wa in this surah when He was explaining His His power, He said, And this ijma on this that this is referring to the skies because of seven there, right? That Allah constructed over you seven intense, powerful constructions, seven heavens. Now those same heavens that Allah has the power to destroy, that He d- described their power in this surah, and now He's coming back to those same heavens and that sky altogether, as sama, and He says, وَفُتِحَتِ السَّمَاءُ فَكَانَتْ أَبْوَابًا Then the sky will be opened up, the sky will be torn open, ripped open, literally, فَكَانَتْ أَبْوَابًا Then it is as though it was doors, and this is from the Balagha of the Qur'an. What does it mean that the sky will be like doors? This has to do with the, the fi'l that was used with the, sama, the samawat before, banayna. Al-bina, to construct. In construction, what's the most loose part of the construction, the building? That's the door. That's the one that opens and closes a lot. If you want to break something in the house, what's the first thing that's going to break? Or, or, or get damaged, it's the door. Because it hinges and it moves constantly. The window is not in, is, uh, is not in as common use as the door is, right? And that's the weakest part of the construction. When somebody attacks your house, they don't attack the wall, they attack the door. So Allah speaks of this magnificent construction and says it'll look like the whole thing is the weakest construction, the door. فَكَانَتْ أَبْوَابَ it'll, it'll look like opening and closing doors. You'll see cracks all over the, the place. As opposed to the situation now of the sky, هَلْ تَرَى مِنْ Do you see any crack anywhere? Right? Allah challenges you to find. You'll keep looking until your eyes will get tired and you won't find any cracks. And on the day of judgment, the exact opposite, Allah says, وَفُتِحَتِ السَّمَاءِ فَكَانَتْ أَبْوَابًا And then this is what's going to happen to the sky. That which he impressed the disbeliever with in the, in the way that it's created. Then the next thing, notice before, Allah says, وَالْجِبَالَ أَوْتَادًا he mentions the mounts in the same surah that are designed, look, look at the kinds of tents you put together, look at the tent Allah has made, the jibal, the, the mount, what comparison is there? Now he speaks of those same sky, those same mountains and he says, وَسُيِّرَةِ الْجِبَالِ Suyirat is of course in Mabni uh, in, عَلَى الْمَجْهُولِ بِالْفِعِلْ الماضي. it's in the past tense, in the passive voice. And الْجِبَالِ is the na'ibul fa'il. 
or al-fi'l la tusamma bi fa'ilu. That's the grammatical term. It's irrelevant anyway. Tasir actually, this word that's used, suyidat al-jibal, is used for something that moves easily. Like nowadays you would use tasweer if you take a ball and you roll it on the ground. This is moving easily. There's no force necessary. It kind of sails by itself. Okay? This is, this is the word used for smooth. Like if you're casually walking around, then you're doing tasir. No effort. If you're running, that's a little different. Right? But if you're just casually moving, this is tasir. Allah says that the mountains will be moving with ease. They'll just be rolling around, floating around with casual ease. The last thing you would associate with movement, not to mention casual movement, is the mountain. But Allah says, وَسُيِّرَةِ الْجِبَالِ And then He adds, فَكَادَتْ سَرَابًا And this has multiple effects. The first effect, first of all, sarab means a mirage. Literally, it means a mirage. Then they'll turn into a mirage, meaning like, you know how a mirage floats in the air? So it'll be almost like the mountains are floating. And also, because a mirage has no reality, in the end when you go there, there's nothing, the mountains will be turned to nothing. But actually this also depicts, depicts what the human eye will see. When the human eye will see the mountains moving, they're not going to believe it. What are they going to think? It's going to appear to them as though this is a mirage. This can't really be happening. Then Allah Azza wa Jal now comes to the point. You see there were two warnings, right? There were two of them. The first one was for the Day of Judgment. That is, Now all of this was the first What's the second Soon you're going to find, they're going to find out again. This is Jahannam. This is the second time they're going to find out. So Qiyamah and then An-Nar. Now we go forward, we find the next depiction. Inna jahannama kanat mirsada. No doubt the hellfire has always been waiting in ambush. Mirsad, there's another word that's related to it, marsad. This comes from rasada in Arabic. Rasada yamsudu, like nasara yamsuru. This refers to the one who is trying to ambush. Like in Surah At-Tawbah, we find waqa'adu lahum kulla marsadin. Sit there waiting for them in any place you can find to try to ambush them. Meaning a place you hide where you want to try and attack somebody. That's marsad. Mirsad, which is a different word, is a place ideal for ambush. Meaning it's designed with the only intent to hide and attack the enemy. Allah describes the hellfire as a place that's been hiding and waiting to attack. That's how it's been described. كَانَتْ مِرْصَادَ And one of the tafsir of this ayah, like for example, we find Hassan al-Basri, rahimahullah, using this ayah to explain, وَإِمْ مِنْكُمْ إِلَّا وَالِدُهَا In Surah Maryam, Allah Azza wa Jal says, is there, there's no one from you at all, except that they will go over it. They will pass over it, meaning they will pass over the hellfire, that bridge, as-sirat, that we're going to pass. So we will get to experience, or at least witness, what we have escaped. Insha'Allah Ta'ala, when Allah, by His mercy, He enters us into His paradise. Anyhow, so now, inna jahannam akadat mirsada, it's waiting to ambush. Now for the believers, they'll be able to pass by, but for the disbelievers, it will ambush them and it will grab them. So inna jahannam akadat mirsada. Then, who is it in ambush for? لِلطَّاغِينَ مَآبًا It is in ambush for الطَّاغِينَ Allah didn't say here al-kafirin. Or al-mushrikeen. So many other words could have been al-zalimeen, al-fasiqeen. Specifically the word used here is al-taghin. Because this is not talking about the... The kufr is the outside. What's on the inside? It's tughyan. It's rebellion. I want to do what I want to do. The, the, you know, on the outside, even the philosophy major or the professor or whoever, that the people are atheists or whoever, they don't want to acknowledge God or Islam or whatever it may be. Not because they have some intellectual arguments. In the heart of the matter, it is they want to live the life the way they want to live them. 
They don't want to accept a higher authority. In other words, they want to rebel against any higher authority. That's the root of this whole problem. It isn't really that they're curious about al-Naba'ul Azim. It began Why are they asking? Not because they're curious, because of their tulyan, because of their rebellion. So Allah says this ambush uh, of the hellfire, it's waiting in ambush for who? For the rebellious. And then he says ma'aba, a place that they will have to keep going back to. Meaning it illustrates they're going to try to escape and it keep, can, keeps sucking them back in. Littaghina ma'aba, a place where you come back to rest. You can't get away from it. May Allah protect us from his hellfire. The word ma'ab is a masdar and it's also a dharf, which means it's a place of stay and it's also stay itself. This is how it's been defined. Labithina fiha ahqab. This is a very important ayah, uh, in which there's some confusion which we have to inshallah ta'ala clarify. These words are used to stay somewhere a very long time. So at they're going to be staying there for a very, very long period of time. And then that long period of time has been given a quantity. This is ahqaba. Ahqaba is the plural of haqb. Haqb according to Ali radiallahu anhu, for example, there are many opinions. The most popular one is the one of Ali radiallahu anhu, that a haqb is 80 years. A haqb is 80 years, every day of which is a thousand years. So it's 80 years, every day of which is a thousand years. Qadada radiallahu anhu has a different opinion. Regardless, even if it's 80 years and every day is a thousand years, is that infinite or, or finite? In the end, that's finite, right? So it led some mufassirun to argue, and, and this has been negated thoroughly, that the hellfire in the end will end. It won't be there the whole time. Or in the end, it's only this long, at least there's some hope, right? But actually, Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah commented that Allah didn't say haqban, he said ahqaban. Haqban would have been one set of 80 years, every day of which is a thousand years. But Allah said ahqaban, which means they are multiple, and that the seed of this is coming in the next ayah, we'll put the two together. So he says the jama', the plural, illustrates that there's no end to it. When you finish one haqb, what happens? the next haqab begins. When you, when you finish the second one, the next one begins, and so on and so forth. And it's an endless series of plurals. So it's actually illustrating hopelessness. The kafir would think, I have spent an entire haqab, maybe I'm done. As soon as that false hope takes over him, the next haqab begins. And so it's actually a means of torture that Allah has mentioned haqab, a means of psychological torture. By just saying abadan, which he says in other places, that's forever and ever. But you know if you, again I give you the example of a child, when a, when a child is put in detention for 10 minutes, but the teacher actually knows it's 20 minutes, he is so hopeful with those 10 minutes. When he gets to that 10th minute and he's told there's another 10 minutes, those 10 minutes don't seem like 10 minutes. They seem like hours and hours and hours. They seem like forever, right? That's the psychological torture of a prisoner. That they're being given the, uh, the, the at least the hope that the haqab is over, yet another one is about to begin. And how do we know this? The proof in it is, is in the text itself. Allah Azza wa says, لا يذوق, uh, actually, uh, is coming. That's the ayah, that's the proof. Allah says, then taste, we will not increase in it for you except anything but punishment. That's actually the, the, the toughest or the harshest ayah against the people of hellfire in the entire Quran. When we get to it, we'll talk about that. Now we speak of the, the two kinds of torture that Allah highlights in this surah. لا يذوقون فيها بردا ولا شرابا. They will not get to taste in it neither coolness, neither coolness, ولا شرابا, nor any kind of drink. You know Allah speaks in the Quran of the least, least, least punishment in the hellfire when He says, ولا إن مسأتهم نفحة من عذاب ربك. Even if a little whiff 
of the punishment of your Lord touch them. The word he used was nafha. Nafha. In Arabic, there's the word nafha with noon and lafha with lam. There are two words, right? Lafha is a warm breeze. And nafha with noon is a cool breeze. So Allah says, even if the coolest breeze of hellfire touched them, even that is so hot. They will cry out over and over again, destruction has fallen upon us. We have been the wrongdoers. We had been continuously the wrongdoers. So here Allah says, they will taste no such thing as coolness, nor any drink. And by the way, again, keep in mind in desert life, what are the two things you aspire towards? You aspire towards coolness, and towards a drink. These are the means of, of these are the joys of desert life. You know the uh, the expression in the Arabic language, qarrat aynuhu, his eyes became cool, is used when you pass through the desert. It's so hot that your eyes are burning, and finally the sandstorm is over, the heat is gone. Then you say, my eyes became cool, right? That's the same expression Allah uses in Quran for our spouses and our children, right? The coolness of our eyes. So coolness in Arabic culture is a great pleasure. So Allah takes that pleasure away. وَشَرَابًا and وَلَا شَرَابًا Nor any kind of drink. Then He adds only two more things. إِلَّا حَمِيمًا وَغَسَّاقًا And these two things are in response to بَرْضًا وَلَا شَرَابًا Instead of having coolness, they will have boiling water poured on them. So this is in response, in, instead of get it, getting cooler, they're getting scorched, literally. Hamim. Then for drink, instead of drink, وَغَسَّاقًا غَسَّاق is pus, or infected blood. Of the other torture, camp, you know, the, the other companions of the hellfire that are being tortured and bleeding, they're boiling pus and they're infected pus, that's the only thing they will get to drink. SubhanAllah, may Allah protect us from the hellfire. And at the end of all of this, subhanahu wa ta'ala, it seems, you know, if you describe this to a disbeliever, they'll say, man, your religion's got a lot of torture, man. This is uh, some serious stuff. This is pretty intense. You know, you, I mean, really? Do the people really deserve this? Look at the next words. Jaza'an wifaqa. Jaza'at means payback. Jaza'at means payback. And jaza'at in, in it already includes the meaning of you get what you worked for. It's already, you know, complete. But then Allah adds the word wifaq. Wifaq is the masdar of wafaqa. Now the, the idea, sometimes the masdar, the infinitive is used in the place of an ism fa'il. So what we were expecting were the words jaza'an muwafiqun. That's what we were expecting. That's what the normal Arabic would expect. When you say wifaq, what that illustrates is there could be no more suited, perfectly placed, appropriate punishment than this. Meaning the, the things that these people did, this is exactly down to the last ounce. This is exactly what they deserve. Not a bit more, not a bit less. Jaza'an wifaqa. And then, you know, the, the, the kafir will come to his mind. What is it that I've done that's so bad that I deserve this? And Allah is saying, perfectly this much. This is exactly what you deserve. There's no exaggerated punishment. There's no torture. There's no oppression. This is justice. This is exactly what you deserve. What is it that I did wrong? Now this is actually coming as it's opening up the subject. These were no, no doubt the people. They had been the ones, they had no expectations. They had no hopes in hisab, in accountability. They had no hopes of accountability. Now the wording is very careful. Allah Azza wa Jal did not speak here of these people were expecting, right? Yatawakka'una. They had tawakka' of hisab. They were expecting. No, they didn't hope for hisab. There's, diff there's a difference. When you don't expect it, that means you didn't have any idea. When you don't hope for it, it means you heard about it, 
you knew it's coming, or you had a feeling it's coming, but you were very hopeful that it probably, I hope it doesn't happen like that. And you let your false hopes delude you. This is what Allah says, وَيُلْهِهِمُ amal. Right? Let their false hopes delude them. Their false hopes were hopefully this hisab, this accountability, all of my deeds being put in front of me, hopefully this will not happen. And you will find this attitude today, sadly enough, even among some Muslims, even perhaps even within your family, that you try to talk to them about, about accountability. We will have to answer Allah for the things we say, for the things we do, for the way we treat one another, for the kinds of monies we earn, for the kinds of monies we spend. We're going to have to answer Allah. And they say, come on, you're depressing me, I don't want to talk about this, let's talk about something else. <laughs> right? Their, their hopes are being challenged. So they want to stay in their false hopes. They want to stay in their false hopes. This happened to the people of the book before us. Tilka amaniyyuhum, Allah says. These are their wishful thoughts. You know? So here, again, إِنَّهُمْ كَانُوا يَرْجُونَ حِسَابًا This is their first crime. This crime was on the inside. In their whole, in their head, in their heart, they were, weren't hoping for any kind of recompense. But then that false hope led them to do something on the outside. وَكَذَّبُوا بِآيَاتِنَا كِذَّابًا So there's the inside of the kafir, and the outside of the kafir in two ayat. The inside of the kafir is إِنَّهُمْ كَانُوا لَيَرْجُونَ حِسَابًا The outside is وَكَذَّبُوا بِآيَاتِنَا كِذَّابًا they, they lied against our ayat. This means many things. First of all, they lied themselves. Second, they lied against the miraculous ayat of Allah. They lied against our miraculous revelation. They lied against our miraculous signs. The ayat of Allah are of two kinds. Ayat kawniya and ayat qur'aniya. Right? So ayat kawniya that he's talking about. The mountains, the, the earth, your own spouses, the fact that we're created in, in pairs, the night that, which we can't avoid our sleep. These are the ayat in our existence. And then there are the ayat of Qur'an. This person did refuse to reflect on either of them. They refuse to reflect on either of them. So now, وَكَذَّبُوا بِآيَاتِنَا كِذَّابَ By the way, the word kidab is a masdar, and another masdar, another infinitive that is associated with it is takdeeb. Right? بَلِ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا فِي تكذيب. Here we find though, kidab. The difference between them is kidab is worse. Kidab is worse than takdeeb. And if you look at the context of this surah versus that surah, the people described here are much worse. So this, this word is used here instead. Anyway, وَكَذَّبُوا بِآيَاتِنَا كِذَّابًا They profusely and continuously lied against our ayat. It includes lying against the messengers, lying against the truth, lying against someone or, or belying someone that is speaking the truth. To, to, you know, when you try to character assassinate someone when they're telling the truth, this is also technique. That you're not denying what they're saying, but you insult them instead. And this is what many of the kuffar did against the messengers, alayhi wasalam. They didn't have any arguments in response to the truth, so they would insult the messengers instead. Hopefully that will end the argument. Then Allah Azza wa says, وَكُلَّ شَيْءٍ أَحْصَيْنَاهُ كِتَابًا This is against their false hopes. As they were hoping there won't be any hisab. Speaking of hisab, Allah says, وَكُلَّ شَيْءٍ أَحْصَيْنَاهُ كِتَابًا And in, when it comes to each and everything, كُلَّ شَيْءٍ is مَفْعُولْ بِهِ And it's مُقَدَّم, it's brought earlier to, for ta'ajjub, for, for shock. Don't be surprised. Each and every last thing we have completely encompassed. أَحْصَيْنَا Ihsa in Arabic, you know, in modern Arabic it means to count. Right, like adada, also to count. But there's a difference between ad and ihsa. And the difference is ihsa is to, to count something and to protect it also, to archive it and to save it and to completely have protection over it. Meaning you're not going to lose your data. You know, the accountant can count and do the books and then the books could get burned or the hard drive could crash or something. But ihsa is not only did you count it, but it's also protected. Allah says, وَكُلَّ شَيْءٍ أَحْصَيْنَاهُ We've counted it and 
protected. Al-adwa al-hifz aydan. Both at the same time, kitaba in 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 a record, in a written document. Faduku. This is the ayah that is uh, uh, considered هذه الآيات أشد آيات في القرآن على أهل النار كلما استغاثوا من نوع العذاب أغيثوا بأشد منه. This is Allah's, uh, you know, the scholars comment. This is the ayah that is the worst ayah of عذاب. This the one we're about to talk about. Every time they try to get out of the punishment, they are entered into a one that is worse than the one they came out of. And this is what's, what, what is mentioned here. Anyhow, فَذُوكُوا Allah says, then go ahead and taste. Go ahead and taste. Now if you look, if, if the ayat before, كَذَّبُوا بِآيَاتِنَا كِذَّابَ They lied against. Third person, right? It was ba'id, it was far away. All of a sudden, فَذُوكُوا Then as a result, all of you taste. This is you, not they, but you. Again, this is coming closer. The principle here is al-iltifat shahid ala shiddatil al-ghadab. That this transition from third person to second person, it illustrates how intense the anger of Allah is, that He's actually, you know, having this spoken to them. But here, one of the things is, Allah Azza wa Jalla did not say, فَقَالَ رَبُّهُمْ لَهُمْ Their Lord said to them. أَوْ قَالَ اللَّهُ لَهُمْ Allah said to them. أَوْ يَقُولُ اللَّهُ Allah will say to them. Allah does not mention His name next to them. Allah does not mention his name next to the people of the hellfire. And this is so because in many other places in the Quran you will find qila. It was said to them. Or it will be said to them. Allah does not even turn towards them. وَلَا يَنظُرُوا إِلَيْهِمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَلَا يُزَكِّهِمْ وَلَا يُكَلِّبُهُمُ اللَّهِ Allah says also. Allah will not talk to them directly. So they will be told this. But according to other excerpts from the Quran we learn that on the day of resurrection Allah will not address them. Allah will not address them directly. This is part of their punishment that Allah won't even turn towards them. May Allah protect us from the hellfire. Then go ahead and taste. And then thus we will not increase you. As a result, we are not going to increase you in anything except further punishment. What What will they be begging for? They'll be begging for some bard. Some sharab, some coolness, a little bit of relief, a little bit of drink. But Allah says the only thing that will be increased for you is further punishment, worse than the one that was there before. Now the pages have been turned, the, the, the flip side, on the other side. You see in the surah there are two, there are There are two audiences. There's the kuffar and there's also the muttaqin. And when Allah speaks about the muttaqin, He's also speaking to them. He's giving them counsel also. And this at the same time, the kuffar get to hear how Allah speaks to them. Right? So you have to understand what, what's going on as far as the audiences and how to appreciate what, it, what is being said. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turns to the muttaqeen and talking about them, He says, Inna lil muttaqina mafaza. It is only for the people of taqwa. Not even mu'mineen here. Not inna lil amanu. But inna lil muttaqeen. The people of taqwa. Why? Specifically why? In the context of these ayat. At taqwa refers to two things. Commonly it is translated as fear. Right? Fear of Allah, taqwallah. But that's not entirely correct. That's khawfullah. Like, inniya khawfullah, we heard when Iblis says, inniya khawfullah rabbal alameen. Right? That we heard in salah. But what here, taqwa, what it refers to is the precautions you take as a result of fear. The things you do because you're afraid. So when you lock your doors at night at the house, you are exercising taqwa. Okay? When you go for Hajj and you make sure your passport is with you and you have some extra some cash and etc. Et you take these precautions. Right? So taqwa is to take precaution, literally. Allah Azza wa also He tells us, take precaution against the fire. Do things that will ensure that you don't end up burning. Right? This is taqwa. 
So to be careful, to be cautious, to do things because you are afraid if you're not careful, if you don't protect yourself, you'll end up in trouble. These are the people of taqwa. So taqwa is more than a feeling. Taqwa is a feeling that results in some kind of action. You do something to change or to protect yourself, to help yourself. This is taqwa. So now, inna lil muttaqina, those people who engaged in taqwa, who had, the, who had the fear, who were afraid as a result of what they just heard, and it translated into action, what do they have for them? Only for them, mathazan. Mathaz could be masdara and barf. What that means is, they will have success, and they will have the place of success, and they have an appointed time where they will enjoy the success. All three meanings in one word. Mathaz, once again, will mean, it is only for the people of taqwa that there will be success, there will be the place of success, mafaz, this is what makan, right? The place of success being Jannah. And mafaz also the time of success, meaning the believers have to be patient. It's coming. It's not there right now, but it's guaranteed that it also has a time. Okay? Hada'iqa wa a'naba. Then Allah describes that, at least the place part of it, and He gives a badal for it. Hada'iqa gardens. And you know, hadiqa is an interesting word in Arabic. It refers to a garden that has a high fence like a tall wall or a high fence around it. So it's a private kind of garden. Nobody else has access. It's yours only. Okay, this is hadiqa as opposed to jannah. It's a little bit different. Okay? And then also, hadaiq, it, one of the words that's related to it is hadaqa, which literally refers to the pupil of the eye because it's surrounded by beautiful color. So it's a, it's a garden surrounded by beauty. That's one of the implications of this garden. So hadaiq, multiple gardens, wa'anaba and grapes. So this is this is a food that has drink in it already, right? So two things in one. Subhanallah. Wa kawaiba atraba. Kawaib is the plural of kaib. Kaib is a gorgeous, a really beautiful young woman, and they've been described as atraba that there will be multiple of them for the believers, the hur, and the atrab means that they will be equal in age, or they will be the right companions, uh, the the most compatible form of companions, atraba. And then Allah says, wa and ka's in Arabic nowadays it means a cup or it means a glass. In classical Arabic, ka's was only used when the glass is full of, out, full of wine or some expensive drink. That's the only time they would use ka's. Otherwise, they would use other words for a glass. So here we find ka's and meaning these glasses will be full of expensive or, or you know exotic kinds of drinks, and then dihaqa sparkling and splashing, meaning that the, the color of the drinks will be exotic and it will be splashing. Like a party taking place, basically. Then Allah says, لا يسمعون فيها لهوان ولا كذابا. Subhanallah. They will not hear in that in in fiha, meaning in those gardens, they will not get to hear لهوان ولا كذابا. Lahu means useless talk, useless talk, and kizab is when someone lies against someone else. Why is it that these two things Allah specifically mentions? In the beginning of the surah, there was عَمَّا يَتَسَاءَلُونَ عَنِ النَّبَأِ الْعَظِيمِ الَّذِي هُمْ فِيهِ مُخْتَلِفُونَ this was lahu. They were making useless talk about the akhirah. Allah says, don't worry believers, when you get there, you won't have to hear any of this. In this dunya, in Ali Imran, Allah says, you will get to hear a lot of painful things. You will have to endure a lot of painful words from the, from the kuffar. Even the messenger is told, فَاصْبِرْ صَبْرًا جَمِيلًا just have sabr, beautiful sabr in this life. Let them, Be patient over what they're saying. Here Allah is telling us, don't worry about it. When you get there, you won't have to hear any such nonsense. And then the other thing they get, the believers who are working for the deen, you know what they hear all the time? They hear kizab. They hear kizab in the media. 
they hear takrib when people lie against the messengers and spread false rumors about them and insult them they hear things about the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's all kidab these are painful things that the believer hears so Allah says they won't be tortured with these kinds of words anymore la yasma'una fiha laghwan wala kidaba jaza'an min rabbik and all of these beautiful depictions first Allah says jaza'an min rabbik now notice uh, when it came to the kuffar Allah says jaza'an wifaqa and he stopped wifaq means exact not more, not less, exact. Allah did not say wifaq for Jannah. Why? Because He will give us what we deserve and also more. Right? So He says jaza'an min rabbik. Then here He says min rabbika. Rabb al-sayyid wal-murabbi wal-murshid. Right? Wal-mu'ti, the one who gives, the one who takes care of, the one who provides, the one who nourishes, the one who creates. All of these positive terms or connotations are included inside the word rabb. It's a merciful word. Rabb was not used with them. Uh, you know, Allah said, Jaza'an wifaqan min rabbihim. No. No min rabbihim. There's no mention of the Rabb because there's no mention of mercy next to them. Here Allah mentions His mercy. Min Rabb. Min Rabb. But He didn't just say it from the Lord or Rabbi Samawat. That's later. Min Rabbika. From your Lord, O Muhammad. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And we know when Allah speaks to His Messenger, those are the most merciful places in the Quran. So another degree of mercy has been added because Allah didn't just say Rabb. He said, Rabbika, your Lord, Muhammad Then he added two more words. These are very beautiful words. We already know there's going to be more. Because he didn't say wifaq. But he adds even more on top of this. He says, Ata'an. Ata is when you give someone something that they don't deserve. For no own grandeur. A grant, a gift. This is Ata. Like, Inna a'atainaka al kawthar. To give someone is one thing. To grant someone, to, to you know, shower someone with, with gifts, this is i'ta. So Allah says, first of all, ata'an. They will be showered with gifts. Then He says, hisaban. Hisaban is not, those of you that speak Urdu, don't think of hisab in Urdu, hisab. This is something else, hisab. This is explained by Qatada radiallahu anhu. For example, who says, ahsabtu fulanan. Ahsabtu fulanan in Arabic, in old Arabic used to mean, I gave someone so much, so much, so much, that they said, no more, I can't, I don't need any more. I don't want any more, I have enough. That, that point when they reach, you know what they say? They say, hisaban. So Allah says, He will give so much, to the point where the believer will have to say, no more, Ya Allah, I have enough. So, jaza'an min rabbika ata'an, and then, hisaban. May Allah make us worthy of this day. Then finally now we're coming to the conclusion of the surah. Here it was jaza'an min rabbik. And then rabb has been given further uh, another attribute. This is the same Lord. And this is why rabb is majroor here. Rabbi. Because it's the adjective of rabbika. Okay. Rabbis samawati wal ardi wa ma baynahum ar-rahman. The Lord of the heavens and the earth and whatever is in between them. Ar-Rahmani. Again. That same Lord happens to be the excessively merciful. Some things you should know about Ar-Rahman as opposed to Ar-Rahim that are very important in the siyaq, in the context of this surah. The word Ar-Rahman is different from Ar-Rahim because Ar-Rahim is called an ism sifa mushabbaha. It's potential. Like I could say about a person, this person is Rahim, which means he's a merciful person. That doesn't mean he's always merciful. That means generally this guy, is, he's a nice guy, he's a merciful guy. But that doesn't mean each and every moment he is doing something merciful. When Allah speaks of a mercy that He's doing right at the moment, He doesn't use Rahim, He uses Ar-Rahman. So when there's a specific mercy mentioned, then Ar-Rahman is mentioned. Rahim is general, it's potential mercy. Allah is always merciful, yes. But when there's a special occasion of mercy, then Allah doesn't just say Ar-Rahim, He says Ar-Rahman. So Ar-Rahman is used here because 
this special mercy is being given to the believers on the day of resurrection. They are being given this special jaza'an min rabbik. On top of that, what is the rahmah of Allah? Ata'an and hisaban. That's why rahman is perfectly suited here. So now, and also from the disbeliever side, who will hear this warning from Surah Al-Nabah, which is very strong, and in the end might lose hope that this, you know, I've, I'm messed up already, I have no hope left. Allah mentions His name, that even this person may have hope in the mercy of Allah. The exceedingly, the unexpectedly merciful. La yamlikuna minhu khitaba. They will have no control. They will have no ability, no, no power whatsoever in regards to, uh, uh, to him on that day in terms of addressing him. In, 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 in terms of even making a case with even a word in their own favor. La yamlikuna minhu khitaba. And then this is the case of the, the kuffar. La yamlikuna minhu khitaba is for the kuffar. But then Allah says something else. La yawma yaqumu ruhu wal malaika. The day on which a ruh, a ruh by almost ijma', even though there's not entirely ijma', but almost ijma', of the ummah, of the mufassirun. And that refers to Jibreel alayhi salam every time it's mentioned pretty much in the Quran except for one or two places. But uh, here, almost ijma' that it is in fact Jibreel alayhi salam. So the day on which Jibreel alayhi salam, a ruh will stand, wal malaika and the angels. So a ruh wal malaika. What's interesting is in other places in the Quran, we find the reverse sequence. Tanazzalu al malaikatu wal ruhu. Right? تَعْلُجُ الْمَلَائِكَةُ وَالْرُوحُ إِلَيْهِ فِي يَوْمٍ كَانَ مِقْدَارُهُ خَمْسِينَ أَلْفَ سَنَةً Usually we find the angels and the ruh. The angels and the ruh. Here we find the ruh and the angels. It's a reversal in the sequence. Why? One of the scholars of Balagha, for example, Al-Sha'rawi, rahimahullah, commented on this. And he said that whenever you find movement, a lot of movement, then angels are associated with going up and down in constant movement. And there you find malaika mentioned first. And when you find responsibility, then who has the most responsibility among the angels? It is Jibreel alayhi salam, so he is mentioned first. So here, this is the place of the utmost responsibility, standing before Allah on resurrection day, so Jibreel alayhi salam has been mentioned first. يَوْمَ يَقُومُ الرُّوحُ وَالْمَلَائِكَةِ Another benefit of knowing this, by the way, is the, the mushrikun, remember we said in the beginning they had different theories about akhirah? One of their theories was, well, the angels will come and save us. Because we worship the angels, they're the daughters of Allah Ma'adullah. And who's the greatest of the angels? Ar-Ruh. Allah says, even Ar-Ruh will be standing, and all of the angels will be standing in front of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala, Safan, standing in straight rows. لَا يَتَكَلَّمُونَ They won't be uttering a word. So when they heard the previous ayah, who did not have the ability to speak? The kafir. But they're still hoping, maybe the angels will speak for us. In the next ayah, who is not speaking? Not even the angels. لا يتكلمون. They won't be uttering a single word. إلا من أذن له الرحمن. Except for the one who the most merciful has given permission. Who the exceedingly merciful Allah Azza wa Jal, Ar-Rahman, will give permission. وقال صوابا. And even if he does speak, he will say that which is true. He will say that which is upright. Now here, one thing, قَالَ is not يَقُولُ. Allah didn't say وَيَقُولُ صَوَابًا. Even though He says يَوْمَ يَقُومُ الرُّوحُ لَا يَتَكَلَّمُونَ مُضَارِعُ مُضَارِعُ Present tense, present tense. But He goes back to past tense. This illustrates that even when someone does speak on the Day of Judgment, it won't be long. It will be very, very brief. They won't get to say much on the Day of Judgment because they will be spoken to rather than them doing the speaking. وَقَالَ صَوَابًا Even if He says something, it will be upright straight to the point and that's it. Now, ذَلِكَ الْيَوْمُ الْحَقِّ 
that now there's, there's three grammatical ways to look at dhalika yawmul haqq one way to look at it is dhalika is mubtada and al-yawmul haqq is khabr what that would mean is that is the true day the translation would be that is the true day another way of looking at it is dhalika al-yawm al-haqq that day is the truth so dhalika al-yawm is the mubtada and al-haqq is the khabr and dhalika al-yawm al-haqq the, the third way of looking at it is there's a hadf here that, you know, i'lamu hadha or i'lamu huwa dhalika yawmul haqq something like this that you should know that in fact this, what we're talking about this is that day, that true day that is coming so it's a fragment altogether but the, the rajah, the closest to correct opinion which is endorsed by the majority of the Ahl-Sunnah Mufassirun is dhalika al-yawm is mubtada and al-haqq is khabar in other words, that day is in fact the ultimate truth usually the predicate, the latter part of an Arabic sentence doesn't have al so ذلك اليوم حق is normal but if you put al on it, it's hasra this, what this means is there's no truth like that day that day is the ultimate ultimate truth that's what's being said here فَمَنْ شَاءَ اتَّخَذَ إِلَى رَبِّهِ مَآبًا then whoever wants let him find ma'ab towards his lord let him hold on اتَّخَذَ means to hold on to something not just to hold but to hold on to it so whoever wants let him hold on to a path that will lead towards his Lord, and he, it be a ma'ab. Now ma'ab was used already in the, in the surah, right? Allah Azza wa Jalla spoke about Jahannam being ma'ab, right? But now He's speaking about another ma'ab. You want a place of return towards your Lord. That should be your 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 goal in this life. May Allah make us of those who hold on to that ma'ab. So whoever may want, let him take a find a refuge, find a place of return towards their Lord. And then in conclusion of this surah, Allah Azza wa Jalla says, Inna anzarnakum. Allah did not just say andarnakum. Andarnakum means we have warned you. We have warned you. Inna andarnakum means it is no doubt we who have warned you, not anyone else. Okay. This use of inna yadunu ala ghayr al-fa'il. It, it alludes to another than the fa'il. The kafir thinks Muhammad is warning us. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He doesn't say sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He thinks Muhammad is warning us. Allah is letting him know. It is in fact we, no doubt, that are warning you. Meaning Allah is warning you. Don't think this is warnings of a man. This is the warnings of the Lord of the worlds. Inna anzarnakum adaban qariban of a punishment that is near, not of a far off thing. Innahum yaraunahu baidan wa narahu qariban. They see it very far away. We see it very. Close. عذاب قريبا. We said before. بمش سيعلمون ثم كلا سيعلمون. The sa was for closeness. The conclusion is also closeness. يوم ينظر المرء ما قدمت يداه. The day on which every single individual person will see whatever their hands sent forward. This is an expression in the Quran commonly misunderstood. In English, simple English, even some person born and raised speaking English, you say whatever their hands sent forward doesn't make sense. So it requires a little bit of explanation. What it means is most of our actions are done by what? Our hands. And when our hands do an action, where does it go? It gets recorded. And then it gets sent forward. So the idea is whatever you've done is basically already been archived and sent on record and it will be brought out of those archives and displayed before you on a day that is coming ahead. So it's been sent ahead and you, when you get ahead to that day, then it will be shown to you. That's the idea behind قَدَّمَتْ يَدَاهُ So every person will see what, what both his hands sent forward. وَيَقُولُ الْكَافِرِ And as a result, the disbeliever will say on that day, in other words, يَا لَيْتَنِي كُنْتُ تُرَابًا Really there are no words in English that depict the power of يَا لَيْتَنِي 
This is one of the problems of translation, that in modern language, we are much less articulate than in ancient languages. Like in older English, you had something like, woe is me, right? But in contemporary English, when you say, woe is me, nobody really takes you seriously. So we can't really use that anymore, right? So, but, so in other words, in situations like this, in, in modern language, usually a person is speechless. Ya laytani, the closest thing in our times, is a person who is so sad and so scared and so overwhelmed that they don't have any words. When you're speechless and dumbfound, this is ya laytani. This is the person going, oh, oh, you know, all they're doing is sighing. All they're doing is screaming. But there's a word for that even in Arabic. Even for that speechless occasion, there's the phrase ya laytani, destruction has fallen unto me. But the, or, or, or upon me. But the person who destruction has fallen upon won't be able to say these words, except, you know, the way Allah is describing, describing is the emotion that is going to be of that person. Kuntu turaba, if only, if only, I had been reduced to nothing but dust. If I was nothing but dust. So on this, before this comes, the, this arrogant kafir is walking around in arrogance, thinking that he has no accountability, and on that day he's hoping he was nothing. He was reduced to dust. And by the way, dust in Arabic tradition is also associated with humiliation. Right? So to put dust on someone or to kick dust in someone's face, right? These are expressions of humiliating someone. So the last thing the person wants is to be associated with dust, this kafir. Because his ego doesn't want to be associated with dust. But here, when, when Allah Azza wa Jal, you know, he, he faces Allah Azza wa Jal on that day, he's wishing he was that humiliated. He was like dust. He was reduced to nothing. Now finally, inshallah ta'ala, like I said, we're going to conclude with uh, how the beginning of a surah correlates to the end of the surah. And we're done, inshallah. In the and it's very brief. These are notes I've taken from Shaykh uh, Fadl Salih al-Samirai, who's done a remarkable work on the cohesion of surahs. Amma yatasa'alun in the beginning. What are they asking each other about? So the kuffar were adamant and arrogant and, you know, in disregard of the reality of the hereafter. So they're casually talking to each other. And at the end, what's their state? لا يتكلمون, لا يملكون منه خطابة. They have no ability to speak whatsoever when the time will come. So right now, let them run their mouth. A time will come when their mouths will be silent. So there's correlation from beginning to end. Then Allah says, الَّذِيهُمْ فِيهِ مُخْتَلِفُونَ They have disagreement. Vehement disagreement. I think there's nothing that there's nothing. Nothing's going to happen in the hereafter. I think we're going to be raised, but we're all going to go to heaven, or we'll all be some souls or spirits. Everybody's got their false ideas. But on that day, there's only one opinion that will come forward, the right one. Waqala sawaba. He will speak the right thing. If anybody speaks, they'll be say, saying the right thing, as opposed to the state now. And finally, Allah warned them. Thumma kalla sayalamun. No, no, they will soon find out. They will soon very well know the consequences of their speech. And at the end, what, and once they know the consequences of their speech, what will they be saying instead? Ya laytani kuntu turaba. That's the consequence of it. The, if they knew, they would be saying that already. If they knew, if they only realized the burden of those words. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaykin.